That was so good. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Steve Hambrick, lead pastor here at Vintage, and I am very glad that you're here. We are in uh, our second week of our fall campaign where we'll be studying the uh, first seven chapters of Acts. And so if you are looking for something to dive into uh, just biblically and where you're kind of uh, reading and praying into, I encourage you just to start diving into Acts chapter 1 through 7. And here's the deal. Don't, don't read it quickly. Just kind of read it methodically. Kind of read it slowly and kind of digest every verse as you go. We'll be here for all the way through November. And uh, so I'd love for you to dive into that. If you weren't here last week, last week we did a, an overview. It is an overview of all of Acts, right? We talked through just the, the author, uh, the, the recipient. We talked about the primary themes and kind of the ministry expressions that are really important in the life of the early church in Acts chapter 1 through 7. We, we even talked about the style of writing because the style of writing and, and what Luke was trying to do, and it was really, really important, honestly, to the, to the history of the church then, but also speaking to the history of who we've become as the church. And the reality is that whatever was spoken in Acts chapter 1 through 7 is a foundational statement and move uh, around the early church is just still alive and well and, and being practiced today. You're going to see some of those things this morning and upcoming weeks. And so I encourage you again, if you weren't here last week, just go listen to that. It's about a 35-minute talk, and you can kind of get that foundation. The idea is to fully grasp what's happening in a book or a letter in Scripture. It is super important just to understand what's happening behind it, right? And so I talked about that last week some, but I would encourage you to kind of get that inside of you. And one of the primary themes that we talked about from Acts was this, the legitimation of the Christian movements on the screen. A theme of Acts, the legitimation of the Christian movement. So the author Luke, same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, has been employed by the recipient named Theophilus, and the intent, this is really interesting, was to critically, critically digest all pertinent information, all stories and writings about the life of Jesus and the formation of the early church for the purpose of, and Luke says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, it's on the screen, but he says, for the purpose of writing an orderly account that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things that he has been taught. And so as we said last week, Christianity as a movement for Luke and for Theophilus, it's honestly a very young movement. Most of the apostles, the, the church leaders have either, have either been martyred for their faith or they've been so spread out that, that people 20, 30, 40 years later don't, have never heard their stories and haven't sat with them and haven't ever met an eyewitness of Jesus and the miracles that he did. And so Theophilus is coming and saying, hey, Luke, I, I know you traveled with Paul. I, I know you have connections with all of these guys. I know you you have access to all the stories and all the writings and all the information. I want to, to be your patron and employ you and literally pay you to take all that information and do a critical work to dive into and to write out this, the, the history, a critical history, right? A critical history of the life of Jesus, the life of the apostles leading up then to the formation and the foundation of the church. And so Luke's goal critically and accurately to build the history of the Christian movement so its followers and starting with Theophilus will have confidence that it is true, that it is accurate, and that it's worthy of devotion. 
So the important piece for us to recognize is that in the writing, those who are now reading know that Luke, who was a doctor, who was very gifted and very smart and a very gifted writer, put forth great effort to build something out that he was critical about, which meant there were lots of stories and things he didn't put in. Right? That's the idea. There were things that he intentionally left as. Because I can't find a factual basis. I can't stand behind this. There's not multiple sources saying the same thing. But therefore, what we have then has been critically tested. And so for them, they would have read it and said, this is true. This is accurate and something that we need to dive into, which brings the legitimation of the Christian movement. We said last week that in the sociology of religion, one of the key ways to legitimize a religious movement is, I think it was on the screen a second ago, is this, charismatic legitimation. Charismatic legitimation. This is when a person or small group, they have special abilities far beyond what is considered natural and is thought of as having been especially anointed by God because of these supernatural qualities. You get the idea, right? In chapters 1 through 7, and you already know a lot of the story, there will be lots of crazy miracle stories, lots of supernatural moments being done by the followers of Jesus that you don't see anybody else doing. So strong was it, in fact, that thousands of people were being added to their number, that, that the people who were coming respected the church and respected the apostles. And so when you walked into the temple, you had two people, two groups there. You had the old school religious, religious Jewish movement over here. And then you had this new Jewish Christian movement, right? And in that nothing's happening over here, except people getting frustrated. And all you see over here is God moving in power in supernatural charismatic type ways. And Luke is coming saying, this is what brings about the legitimation of the Christian movement, supernatural moves of God's spirit among a people that everyone has seen and thousands can attest to. These are actual. These are factual. And you can lean into them. That charismatic legitimation and sociology of religion is what Luke is getting at. This is where the legitimation comes from, right? This whole charismatic legitimation then is the focus of much of chapters 1 through 7 of Acts. Luke is building out a foundation. He's building out evidence. He's building out this reality, critical thought, to lead them to a place to say, I know you never knew Jesus. I know you never saw the miracles. For most of them, I know that you never knew one of the apostles. I know you never got to see the things happen through their lives. You weren't there at the beginning. But I want you to know I've done a laborious effort of homework to get to a place that this is actual and it's factual. You can lean into it. And it's a base that you can stand on. Your faith and what you've been taught about Jesus is accurate. It's true. And it's real. So in Acts chapter 1... What we begin to see then is a foundation and a foreshadowing of this supernatural move in the disciples in the lives of the early church, right? In the disciples' lives and the life of the early church. We're going to lay a foundation this morning, see what Luke was trying to do in building that foundation. In the upcoming weeks, we will unpack it. So with that this morning, either turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read all of verses 1 through 14, or you can follow along on the screen this morning says this, 
In the first book, O Theophilus, which is the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking with the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. He said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Peter and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I want to start this morning by looking at the key verse used by Luke to set the whole book of Acts up. It's the foundation, the foundation and key thought that everything is built around the book of Acts. It's familiar to all of us because it was the focus of our Kingdom Power series uh, in, early on in the spring. Verse 8 says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It's important as we go on and as you read, even if you read all the way to the end, Everything Luke writes from this point forward will look back to this one verse as its foundation. And everything we read in subsequent chapters is a fulfillment of Jesus' prophetic statement here in verse 8. So with that, let's dive into chapter 1 and build out this foundational verse around verse 8 of Acts 1. In verse 2, we see this phrase, we see this phrase, Jesus had given commands through the Holy Spirit. So Luke is naming past tense something that's already happened, right? Luke is back, looking back to words that he actually had quoted. He had quoted Jesus saying in his first book, again, the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, verses 45 through 49. He's looking back to that moment when he, Jesus appears to them after his resurrection, and he says this, Jesus speaking, then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scripture. So Jesus has been resurrected. He reveals himself to them and he begins to to teach the scriptures and he said to them thus it is written the christ should suffer this is the message right this is the message of the gospel the christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead 
that repentance and turning from sin for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You've seen them. You've experienced them. You know that they are true. You were witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This should look familiar to you because it's the same thing just revised that we just read in Acts in the first four or five chapters, excuse me, verses of Acts chapter 1. Luke is intentionally connecting his two writings Again, revising Acts 1, 2 through 5, what he already stated in Luke 24, right? But he's connecting them. He's saying, I want to look back. I want to go ahead and say this is where we are in the story so that we can look forward. It's a beautiful reality of Luke connecting both of these pieces. And in both, at the end of Luke 24 and here in the early part of Acts, what we see is this two primary messages that Luke wants his readers to remember and embrace. It's on the screen, number one. He wants them to realize you are called to be witnesses to the world. What they're witnessing to is much bigger and much more explained in Luke chapter 24. I'm just going to read it. You don't have to go there. It says, thus it is written, what you need to be a witness of is that Christ suffered. You need to be a witness that on the third day he rose from the dead. You need to witness to people and share that the repentance for the forgiveness of their sins is what they need to embrace and you need to start in Jerusalem. This is what you are witnesses of. The second part he wants them to do and recognizes that you will receive power from on high. When we talk about a foundational core of everything you can return to in every story that you read all the way through Acts is simply this. You, me, the church, and every generation starting here is called to be witnesses to the death of Jesus, to the resurrection of Jesus, now to the ongoing life of Jesus, and a recognition that if you want to know him, you have to turn from the life that you're living and surrender to his lordship and give everything to him, because apart from that, there's no salvation. So we are to, as a church and as a people, to live with this as a primary call as named by Luke at the formation of the church and saying to Theophilus, you need to understand everything about the church will forever revolve, starting with you around these two verses. You are to be witnesses, but don't worry. I know you'd be terrible at it in your own strength. So I'm going to empower you. I'm going to empower you. You will fill with the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that empowered Jesus, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, or the same Spirit, Theophilus, and other Gentile believers that will now be in you. You can never say, I can't. You're right to say it, but you can because of Jesus in you. So even this morning when we're singing, worthy of it all, like, the worst comes back to this moment and recognizing I am so, we're going to talk about this in a bit, but I'm so distracted by life going on. I will just tell you, I was telling Randall this week, in my life I have never felt as busy and distracted as I do right now in this season of life. Right? 
Like I, I have all of these things tugging at me and all of these people pulling at me and all of these weights of many things pulling. And I find myself, find myself being distracted. It's like I can't see Jesus. I can't see Jesus. And I literally sit in my prayer time this morning. I was so convicted, but I'm like, God, I and trying to do all of it in my own strength. Now wonder I'm failing and it's overwhelming. And it said, Lord, I don't know exactly, like I feel so distracted even to know how to engage your power, but I thank you. It's available to me this morning, God, to walk into the things that you have. Thank you that your spirit has empowered me and is empowering me. Jesus, now help me to die to the lie that says, I can't do it, and you're going to fail. God, that is a lie from the enemy. Jesus, I can't. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus, come. That was my prayer. That was like happened like 15, 20 minutes ago, guys. I'm just letting you know, okay? We just had this like perfect moment with the Lord, and it's like just happened to go with the message, and I asked God if I could share it. He said yes. So there we go. So all of Acts, every story we, re- we read hinges on these two ideas. You just need to, like, grab hold of those. Write them down. Write them in the very, listen, just write them. It's okay to write in your Bible, right? Just write them at the top of your Bible. Those two things are just circle them with, like, lots of stars around it, right? It is the source. And everything that you read moving forward, just come back and remember we are to be witnesses and we've been empowered. So to build out these two messages, Luke begins, and I think this is fascinating and beautiful, he actually begins by legitimizing Jesus legitimizing Jesus, which in turn legitimizes his message. If you legitimize a person, then it means that everything they've said is then legitimized, right? And so that's what Luke is doing here. Look at verse 3. It says, Jesus, or he, presented himself to the apostles, presented himself to them by many proofs, and he spoke about the kingdom of God and ordered them not to depart, or to not depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. Luke's intent is clear. He wants to legitimize Jesus by making it powerfully clear. Jesus is not dead. A dead Jesus means he failed and he wasn't actually who he said he was. So he comes and says, no, he's just alive. He doesn't have to like unpack it. He doesn't have to theologize around it. He doesn't have to write a book about it. He says, no, no, he's alive and he came many times to give proofs. We know other places he ate and he drank. He hung out. People touched. He wasn't a ghost. He was a legitimate physical person in the flesh, right? Visiting and teaching and sharing. And my guess is laughing and partying and having a good time with his buddies, Right? It's what he's doing. He's hanging out. Jesus is not dead. He is risen from the dead. He physically revealed himself to many witnesses, many of whom were actually still alive when this was written. He could name them. Well, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so and so-and-so who were still living, right? It's beautiful. He taught them about the gospel message, the kingdom we just talked about. And now with authority, Jesus says, you need to wait for the power. Wait for the promise. Wait for my spirit. This is charismatic legitimation that we talked about earlier. A supernatural act legitimizing Jesus, which in turn legitimizes his message. Jesus said in John, I and the Father are one. 
And it says the rulers got so angry because he claimed to be God. I know Jesus seems very far away for some of you who maybe don't know Christ, maybe some of you who, who grew up in the church, but I'm telling you, Jesus is exactly who he said he was. Jesus exactly is who he said he is. He is living. He is active. He is moving. He is legitimately who he said he was, which is the Lord over all creation. You were created, which means he's Lord over all of us. So by legitimizing Jesus, Luke in turn is legitimizing Jesus as the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. That's important. Because you remember we said this early movement and young movement, sociology of religion, they say, man, like young, young religions didn't receive much honor because they didn't have history of antiquity behind them. And he's coming and saying, no, 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 Jesus actually is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy going, prophecy going all the way back. It's, just a, it's actually the literal continuation of Judaism. We are legitimate because we have great history going well back into antiquity. In fact, we actually have the named Messiah sitting in front of us. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He was the one who was to come for the disciples. Listen, their understanding of the kingdom, specifically related to Old Testament prophecy, Old Testament history, their hopes of Jesus being the Messiah. The kingdom of God's on the screen, right? As it talks about who is Jesus as Messiah and the kingdom, the Messiah, the Savior, the King and the kingdom. It primarily refers to the sovereign, the overarching rule and reign of God in human life and the affairs of history. This is who Jesus is. Luke is telling Theophilus, this is who Jesus is. He is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. It's this thinking that led to verse 6 and the disciples asking him, and I love it, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? It's like everything we've hoped for, is this the moment? Is this the moment, right? The disciples were faithful Jews who viewed Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy, and Luke is affirming that by legitimizing Jesus. Listen, we know they misunderstood the meaning of, of the kingdom with Jesus because they viewed it as a warrior king and coming to conquer Rome, and that's just not what he did. But it doesn't mean that they miss Jesus actually as the Messiah. They just misinterpreted him. He was and is the long-awaited Messiah and Savior that, prophesied, that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And the takeaway is clear. Listen, Christianity is not a new rogue religion, but a continuation of Judaism the world's second oldest religion with Jesus as the long-awaited Savior. If we could just press pause and just say, Luke legitimizes Christianity. It legitimizes Jesus. It makes him something that we have to ponder and think about, and Jesus is someone that we have to wrestle with if we don't believe in him. All of this from Luke is to legitimize him as the king. Now, as profound as this is for the followers of Jesus, and as much as they wanted to dive into it, they wanted to gain clear understanding about the kingdom and what it all meant, I love how Jesus responds, and I think this is really important for us. 
I don't think it. I believe it with everything inside of me. This is really important. I take a deep breath. Now release it. And I want you to focus because Jesus says something. And what he's doing here is he is beautifully naming a calling and a responsibility that he was giving to Theophilus and to his readers and to everyone else who would read this moving forward, which is something he's giving to us this morning. Okay, so the responsibility and the calling and the purpose you're about to hear Luke name is for us. He says this. Send it back to the disciple. Hey, is this now in the kings to be established? And he says this, verse 7. It is not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Look at verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. I love in this moment, Jesus doesn't discipline them as if they've sinned in asking that question for their line of thinking. He's not disciplining them for their desire to understand what's happening. Instead, and this is really important, he redirects them. The heart of Jesus' teaching here is simple. He wants them to shift their focus away from the things that are God's concern and to take up the mission and the calling that he's giving them. Let God focus on what is his responsibility alone. You just give your attention and focus to the responsibility he's given you and empowered you to accomplish, to go be his witnesses, to give yourself to love your neighbor as you love yourself, that you are looking at every single person as someone who's in need of the gospel, the good news, of Jesus and that you are living your life every day as a witness to what you know and what you've seen. It's why we don't believe in just creating holy huddles of Christians who just sit around all day long and pray for one another and talk about how great they are and just go to lunches and dinners just with themselves and never spend time with unbelievers as a lifestyle. If you spend 99% of your time with Christians, then you're not fulfilling the call of God in your life. And there's no way around it. You can't let the little judge come out and say, well, I need to be in community. Yes, you do. As you then go to those who are need to be witnessed to. Like, they're like, oh, this is starting to feel uncomfortable. Steve's being really directive. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, and it's directive all the time. I love, and you, listen, guys, we live in a generation, man, on television, these people all day long who are just trying to read tea leaves of times and seasons for the second coming of Jesus, wasting their time. Not listening to Jesus. Look at Matthew twenty four thirty six, Mark thirteen thirty two. Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not in the, even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. He's like, why give yourself to something that the Father's never going to tell you? Because to be honest with you, it's none of your business. And it would distract you from the calling of just going and being a witness. 
I didn't plan to get so passionate about that. I hope that doesn't offend. All right. So the idea of like learning, studying, gaining knowledge, looking into the second coming of Jesus and the fullness of the kingdom, it's all well and good until it keeps you from fulfilling the mission given by God. All right? The idea, be witnesses to those who need to know God because he empowered you for that purpose. It's simple, right? So here in these eight verses, first eight verses, Luke, three things. First, he legitimizes Jesus as the Messiah, therefore legitimizing everything he has ever said. Listen. Jesus is alive. And we, they, must consider Jesus as Lord and God over all. To not give ourselves to thinking of this and processing it, in my in my opinion, is reckless and it's naive. Number two. Luke names the foundation of the whole of Acts and the whole of the church throughout all time. Church is called to be witnesses of Jesus to the world. The church will receive power from Jesus through the Spirit and live Spirit-empowered lives, meaning we need to be surrendering it. Like I was saying this morning from myself, every single day is a lifestyle. The third thing Luke does with grace directs Jesus' followers to focus on their own responsibilities and trust God to care for his responsibilities. I don't know about you, but I prefer to control everything in the world. And when I do, it doesn't go well. So I just need to focus on what God's given me the power to know and be responsible for and quote-unquote control, the sharing of the gospel to those that are in need and loving my neighbor as I love myself. The response, listen, in this, we can't get distracted. So where's Taylor Chastain? He just came up here a second ago. He's all the way in the back. He's the guy who ran up here awkwardly and hugged and made the morning even more special for Aaron's birthday. We met this week and we were talking, right? And he loves jujitsu, right? He loves jujitsu. And every single person knows in any type of martial arts and you're facing somebody in jujitsu, like if someone goes squirrel, right? And you look over here, it doesn't go well right? It doesn't go well. You get taken out, you get taken down, you get subdued, whatever it may be, right? And you definitely lose. The idea for us is we have to be aware and focused, giving ourselves what's right in front of me and giving attention to what I have responsibility for in the moment. This is the reality for us. This is it for us. Simply recognize what you're responsible for and give yourself to that. You've been empowered to be witnesses. You have not been empowered to know everything. So the response of the early church in this, and this is kind of where we just end this morning, going through verses 12 through 14, and then kind of split into verses 2 through 1. You can go ahead and put them on the screen for me. The response of the early church, verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem as Jesus commanded, verse 13. They went up to the upper room together as a people, in verse 14, in one accord, unified as a people, they devoted themselves to prayer together. So in verse 1, chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they hadn't run out, they hadn't left. They were all together in one place. Here's what I want you to hear me say as we end our time this morning. We're going to unpack more of this in chapter 4, but I can't, I want to state it now. These four verses lay out a path for greater breakthrough if we adhere to it. Number one, obey Jesus' command. 
That's the idea. Obey Jesus' command. This week, Jesus, listen, this idea that Jesus leads us every week. My question for you is this. Press pause before you get to set number two, number three. If I asked you to stand up right now and come to the front with a microphone in hand and say, hey, tell me one thing that you obeyed Jesus in because you heard him speaking this week, what would it be? Because I be- and all I mean by that is I believe that Jesus every day in relationship with us is speaking. I believe he's leading and I believe he's directing. I believe that he is a part of your life, right? He is like Lord of your life and he's directing. And so all of us every week should have things that we're hearing from him and being obedient to as a lifestyle. I recognize for myself sometimes, man, I did not do a great job of listening this week. And I think I would have something to share, but I'm not positive. You know, getting at all I'm saying is this. I just want you to be super aware of God's presence this week with an expectation, anticipation, and submission to him of being obedient quickly. Quick obedience is best obedience with the Lord. Number two, live together in community. Live together in community. Listen, listen. we, we live together in community. We do life together, and then we go, right? We get like the, the picture I always love is that I, I have I have turned sideways with the body of Christ and I'm turned sideways to the world. And I am living as much here in the world as I am here in the community. I'm being strengthened and encouraged and healed here with an expectation then of leaving those people to go out here and live my life on mission. Community here, they came together and they prayed as God commanded for this moment so that they could then go. They were here together, and then they went and preached, right? Which leads number three, as a unified people, we pray for God's will to be done together. I love that, right? They went to the upper room together in obedience to God, and then they prayed together. There's something so powerful about Christian brothers and sisters being in relationship and sharpening and giving ourselves in these relationships with then being kicked out by them to go live on mission, but praying for the things that we're going to, right? God, we're going to pray in unity for the purpose of God for your spirit to come. And then we're going to pray. Listen, in chapter 4, they prayed that they would be fearless to continue to proclaim the word of God boldly to those that were in need. They prayed that they would live well on mission because they were unafraid to go be persecuted and beaten for their faith. So, Luke should be sobering. Luke and Acts, this writing of Luke, should be sobering. Chapter 1 is a foundation for you and for me. It's a reality that, hey, listen, I've called you to be witnesses, but I've empowered you. I've told you to live in community, to sharpen one another so you can then go. It's this beautiful, ongoing just relationship of being sharpened and going, being challenged and going, being pressed and sharpened for growth and going. It's this beautiful nature of relationship, walking in obedience. Luke lays this out as a foundation before we get into more charismatic legitimation of these beautiful healings and miracles and signs and wonders that are done, again, to legitimize the movement of Jesus. Again, take a deep breath. Invite worship team and Alex and Aaron to come forward.
Here's what I'm looking for this morning in response. And what I want to lead you to, I just want to lead you one to sober. Be sober. Be sober about the call of God. Be sober about the legitimacy of Jesus and who he is in your life. The call of God on your life has never been rescinded. It's never been taken back. You've never gotten too old for it. Never gotten too far away from Jesus for it to be taken away. The call of Jesus is on your life to be his witness and to live life empowered by his spirit, full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, enjoying him in the middle of every storm that life brings. It may cause you to weep. It may cause you to be broken. But in that, he is with you and protecting and guarding and fighting for you and your loved ones. It's to wake up, to be sober this morning. It's also a time to celebrate. Jesus is Lord over all. And in your life, he is king, and he loves you, and he is for you. He's not against you. He has empowered you for every good work that he's called you to. And so when you think about being a witness, whatever that may mean in your daily life, maybe it just means being nice to your neighbor and cutting their grass. Maybe it means just looking at a person in the eyes and just saying, hey, it is so good to see you today. Maybe it literally is sitting down and proclaiming the good news of Jesus to them, saying, hey, I just need you to know this is crazy to say in public, but Jesus loves you. I know at the very core of my being, and I would love to talk to you about it. Whatever it may look like, I confirm as little or as big, God just wants you to be obedient to love your neighbor. But as we do that, I man, I'll tell you, it's like this. Every time I listen, every time I work out that obedience muscle, right, I get stronger and stronger. Right? Every time I take a step of obedience, like obedience just becomes easier. Some of you coming to church today was an act of obedience. Well done. Literally, well done. Thank you for taking that step of obedience. Some of you right now know there's something or someone that God's calling you to. Like Aaron fixing this for Alex this morning. Well done, Aaron. Good job, right? Whatever it may mean for you this week, there's something that God has called you to. Just let him say it. Listen to him. Lift your eyes off of your struggles and say, God, I give these to you. What do you have for me this week? And let's see what happens. Next week, man, it gets fun. We can talk about the infilling of God's spirit in Acts chapter 2. We can talk about supernatural preaching from Peter and thousands came to Christ. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. But first, we've got to be sober and say, man, sometimes there's it's great to cheer for things and then walk away and do nothing about it. We'll start off by being sober. All right. Jesus, we love you. This morning I'm asking that, God, you would meet every single one of us. God, I pray that we would put our guard down that just loves to defend ourselves. Say, yeah, well, but. God, we just give you our wells and our butts and we just say, Jesus, we surrender and submit to you, God. Help us to die to our religion that loves to defend ourselves every day. We surrender and say, we have nothing of value except what you have brought to us, Jesus. We are broken and contrite beings apart from the love of Jesus. Come and have your way in us. 
I invite you to respond as the Lord leads, whether it's in your seat. We have ministry teams. Y'all can get ministry teams. Y'all go ahead and get up as well. Speaking, you want to come forward and get in place. They would just love to pray for you. Anything you have going on, for healing, for anything, for a move of God in your life. If you just want more of Jesus this morning, then just come forward and get prayer. If you want to come to the altar and lay anything down and surrender this morning because you're holding on to sin, you're holding on to something, just come and release it this morning. Let God do his work. If you want to worship this morning, morning, I encourage you to worship, whether it's just quietly in your seat or standing, whatever it may be. I'll come close us out in a few minutes, but please respond to the Lord this morning and how he would have you respond.